Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 10, Heaven and Hell. Let's get this show on the road. I made some predictions last week that were all incredibly incorrect. <laughs> I even think in our lore segment, I went on a nice rant about how, you know, how a fallen angel becomes a devil. And like, is that how the show's going to take it? And then they totally answered my question with a big kick in the you know butt. <laughs> you were not going to say butt, weren't you? <laughs> I censored myself just for simplicity's sake. Um, but butts are more gender inclusive, I've decided. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but what did you think, though, about everything? I, right? Understand, again, a little bit of foreshadowing here. My lore segment this week, I kind of have like a message I was trying to share. And I think this episode punctuates it so bloody well. Like, first of all, their plan, the reveal of Anna, bringing Pam back, like just everything from bottom to top was like, it answered questions. It was crazy. Uh, hearing more about, oh, God, poor Dean. Again, these boys have a beer near a car is a terrible concept because it's just emotional heart wreck. <laughs> Isn't there so much in this episode? Yeah, I'm worried about this recap. It's going to be the entire episode. OK, well, let's give it a try. I'm going to count you down. Three, two, one, go. Anna has super magic powers and can use a blood ritual to send away angels. Okay, cool. That's a mystery we have to solve now. Then Pam shows up, and for the first time ever, we have three women in a scene uh, all having a conversation and outnumbering the boys, which is kind of awesome, because I don't think we'll ever get that again, probably. But then Pam does some cool hypnosis therapy thing in the bunker, and then Anna's all like, thanks for telling me my secrets. It turns out I'm an angel, and I fell from grace because I was all like, mm, I'm done with you, God. You're an abusive father, kind of like someone else in the story who she'll connect with, literally. And then we have, oh my God, I'm running out of steam and power. Um, <laughs> and then we have um, the realization that the angels wander, the demons wander. They don't know how to fight angels and demons, so they need to come up with a plan, and it looks like they have multiple different plans going on, but then it turns out it's all one super secret plan and Alistair shows up and the angels show up and she gets her grace back and a bunch of people die uh, well really just some no-name demons get sent back to hell really uh everyone else gets away but Anna has her grace back and she's on their team and she's good now and everyone else is mad and time <laughs> wow that was over a minute <laughs> I feel like there's a, I, we've said in the past there's a trend where when there's a really heavy episode with a lot of meat the recaps aren't very long because it's really like, here's this one thing to focus on and everything else is just breadcrumbs before and after. But, and I mean, I realized in this recap, I didn't even cover what I did in the, you know, pre recap section that we have Dean revealing that he literally tortured people in hell for 10 years. Like, holy crap. <laughs> Let's move into the long game because there's some, there's some conversation to be had about that. Let's go. I think that you've kind of covered like all of the extra, all of the, the characters that we're not used to seeing all that often, especially not together. We have Pam that's back. We find out that Anna is an angel, but not only an angel. She's a fallen angel who lost her grace when she fell to earth. You know, she girl bossed a little too close to the sun, one might say. 
Um, of course he would, but yes. Yes, of course I would. Uh, we also learn a little bit more about the lore and metaphysics of angel grace. Uh, you know, what makes an angel an angel? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I love that level of lore, and I love that it's sort of like their own their own story they're finally telling. I think demons kind of get this treatment, and I've kind of glossed over it over so many seasons, but we're now getting, here's what angels do, here's how angels work. Like, the grace is, I, I assume, was something physical, and I guess they kind of, it is, it's like ethereal physical, if you know what I mean. Like, I was wondering how they're going to get out of a tree. I was very intrigued by that part, so. <laughs> like maple syrup, actually. <laughs> Just tap a tree for some angel grace. I mean, the closest thing to being an angel on Earth is maple syrup, maple syrup, so really. There's also this little awkward moment between Sam and Ruby when Ruby tells him that she knows what to do in order for him to get his powers back in top shape. I completely forgot that that was a thing in this episode. I will admit I saw this note before recording and I was like, oh, yeah, she does. And it really goes unresolved. It's like it's like the. Despite this episode kind of wrapping up so many loose ends and kind of closing so many paths, it opened up this path. And I don't want to say it was non-ceremonious or it was like brushed aside, but there was just so many things happening that it was like an afterthought. Like, I'm really hoping future episodes maybe go into this a bit more detail. Well, it was easy to forget, I think, like you said, because there's so much happening. But I think that this... You know, this is a door that's been opened that we can't forget about, essentially. And like you mentioned, Dean tells Sam about his time in hell. And this is why ghost sickness affected him in Yellow Fever and not Sam. To go back and do a little bit of correcting here uh, in this moment, an apology is due to our fan who wrote us that uh, lovely message that episode. I forget who it was, some some guy. About how, you know, he Dean isn't a dick. And you're right. Dean was not a dick. This was really there was a reason why this worked, why it affected Dean and not Sam. And as he stated in his letter, that episode 10 would make that clear. You were right. Thank you very much for uh, your being clear. Again, this does mean the writer had to go back and kind of fix things after the after the fact. And, you know, did more a little more uh, tell don't show, which is a little disappointing. But I'll let it slide because it works. So I just thought that it was important to kind of like bring that back because of what we had discussed. No, 100 percent. I, I will admit it was top of mind going into watching this episode, like because it was I honestly just because I edited that episode so recently. Uh, so it was very like, oh, right, that's a thing to look out for. And I'm watching it like in an hour. Uh, and then, yeah, as soon as this reveal came, I was like, ah, got it, Eric. We're good. Thumbs up. Click, click. Let's go. And I just want to say, like, I, I just I don't know if this will be a thing that we see a lot. So I'm going to throw something into long game here. But we do have a moment where and I'm cheating a little bit. We do have a moment where there are more main character women on screen than men. Very excited about the whole thing. But despite interaction with Ruby, Ruby does not say a word that entire scene. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> she's there, but she doesn't speak. Yeah, she's referred to both by Pam and by Anna and like in like the going to do what they're going to go do with their psychic dream memory magic. And again, they're both wonderful. They're a great combo, Ruby and uh, Anna and Pam, at least. Uh, and Ruby's very like, I'm in the background, but I'm here too, girl bossing. So I'm going to I feel like for Supernatural, good on you for having three female characters technically passing the Bechtel test. I was going to say, is this is this the first time? It might be because they do not discuss the boys. They discuss themselves and what they're going to do. And Anna being Anna and like 
they don't talk about the boys for a second. So, like, this might be a monumentous occasion. I wanted to mark it at least. That's so sad. <laughs> okay. Let's not... And just, just for reference, the Bechdel test is... It's controversial because it's truly the minimum, the bare minimum, but there are three criteria. Uh, One is that there's at least two women featured in a scene. Two is that these women talk to each other. And three, they talk about something else than a man. I have seen other shows, I won't name names right now, make fun of this by writing scenes specifically to pass this test that are just like, that are worse than things you've seen in Supernatural. Just because, like, that is such little criteria to get by that it's, like, comedic. So I understand. I I think it's, for a show of its age, it's at least worth mentioning how rare it happens that we have to look for things like this that are so small uh, versus saying shows should try to break it by, like, forcing it. They, they should write they should write women into the shows properly. That's what they should do. Um, with my rant out of the way, shall we move to story time? Yes, let's go. So this week, we're going to be talking about yearning. What comes to mind when you think of yearning? To me, I feel like yearning obviously would be synonymous with a want or a need. But I think with yearn, it's something about it is stronger and more primal. Like you'd you'd yearn for a love more than you like want or need love. You yearn for it. You know, like I want to go to McDonald's. I really need a better job. But I yearn for, you know, my family to love me, for people to respect me, for this show to do well. You know, it's, it's a very different level of a want or a need. I just think that the way that we use certain words says a lot about, just says a lot about them. So that's, that's kind of why I like to hear what you think about them before we go into the definition. Because I, I agree with you. I think that yearning is very strong. And I would also say that yearning has something to do with, like, something you don't have. Right. So it's not it's not for for me anyway. Yearning is really about like I re- I don't have this and I I want it so badly. Right. Like there's something uh, like it's missing from you almost. And, and I think that we're going to see that a little bit in this episode. But just before we get started, the word yearning actually comes from a Latin word that means sharp or pungent. Which makes sense when you think about it, because yearning is very strong and sharp, as we discussed, and it can also be like really easily perceived by other people. Like when you're yearning, like people know they're like, oh, my God. (laughs) I was going to say because it reminds me of cheese and that's what usually I yearn for. Uh... (laughs) That too. (laughs) (laughs) So can we start with Dean this week? Of course. Do you want to get started? Dean's decision to finally reveal to Sam about his time in hell. I mean, that's a strong moment that is definitely, despite how powerful this episode is in many ways, is like an even more powerful ultimate ending. And it's truly heartbreaking how it's equal parts the hardest thing he's done. But you can just tell that he needed to do this. He needed to get it out there. More so, he yearns for forgiveness. I mean, he's telling Sam because he wants someone to understand and he wishes that he could be forgiven. He doesn't ask for it, but you can tell he needs it. Sam does affirm his choice and makes it very clear that what he did took incredible strength and that he fought for so long, for 30 years, to deny himself any kind of 
peace from what he was being put through. I mean, it's it, it's crazy to imagine and being able to talk to Sam about it, I think, really is a huge step for Dean's character development, both in this one moment and also his emotional growth. So this moment sort of reminded me of of Dean in Bloodlust when he's saying, you know, he's he's crying to Sam about how much he hates those things, as he says. And it's in that moment that he realizes that maybe maybe he is one of those things. You know, the things that he has done in order to survive hell are eating at him, basically. And in that moment, I think it shows that he's yearning, like you said, for, for forgiveness, for peace of mind. And even earlier this season, he thought that he could achieve peace of mind by not talking about his experience in hell at all, you know, like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. But over the last episodes, we've seen that it's not working and it's not working to the point where he's drinking again in order to cope with the memories. And I know that we've talked about, you know, the power uh, for trauma survivors to tell their stories on their own terms. And I think that Dean is there like he needs to tell the story. He yearns to tell the story. And he really I think that it's in order to feel more at peace, to feel to feel lighter, like you said, to 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 gain some kind of forgiveness or at least to to make amends, to start making amends, essentially. We all know Dean very well at this point. I feel like we are so connected to him on an emotional level. I mean, we can only imagine it, but I think it's so real to imagine how he must have felt every single waking moment or heck, dreaming, probably even uh, tortured by these memories to have someone like Sam listen to him and accept him after this. I think is a huge step forward for him. And it might not become evident right this moment. And a lot of conversations and things around getting better and recovery aren't immediate, but they are the first steps. I, I absolutely agree with you. And as you were talking about Dean's experience in hell, it sort of reminded me also of how sometimes when people live in abusive situations or in situations that are unsafe or dangerous, They'll have to do things in order to survive that they aren't proud of once they get out of that situation. And I think that that's what he lived in hell. But I think that that's also what he lived during his childhood. The trauma here is double because not only is he remembering his time in hell, but he's, it's also probably bringing back up all of the things that he feels guilty for in his life. All of the things that he wishes that he regrets, all of the things he wishes he could take back. When you're in a situation where you have to do things you are later able to look back on and either just feel disgusted with or aren't proud of or regret. It's it's just it's so important to remember that though there was the illusion of choice, there really wasn't a choice. It wasn't a matter of he chose to torture people. It's he was literally 30 years of torture basically coerced into it. There needs to be a certain distance for people to start seeing that. There needs to be some sort of, of closure or at least the beginnings of it. And, and he's not there yet. He's not there. But I think even just in telling Sam and having Sam affirm for him that, yes, what you did was basically necessary. It wasn't a matter of like you chose to do it. You were forced to do it. I feel like Dean would never say that about himself. So hearing someone say it, I think is an amazing first step. An amazing first step of healing. 
I agree. And I think Sam does a really good job at this. Like he's, he's really amazing in that moment. Like he, he, he receives Dean exactly where he is. And you know how sometimes I like get a little mad at Sam because he doesn't know what to do with Dean when he talks to him. Like in that moment, I think that he does so well. Like I'm so proud of my tallest Dean. So proud of him. So we also see like his yearning uh, to feel more at peace, I think, in his conversation with Anna when Dean is asking her why she wanted to become human, because in this moment, like he's like, you know, you're an angel. And to him, it's like the best thing you can possibly be. Why would you want to be human? And they have this exchange where Anna says that she wanted loyalty, forgiveness, love, chocolate cake and sex. And Dean says that being human isn't so desirable because of fear, pain, and guilt. Like those are the things that are in his, on his mind at the moment, like fear, pain, and guilt. I feel like guilt's kind of a loaded one, especially as we just discussed uh, his time in hell. Because I feel like if you asked me to pick up like the three most difficult emotions to feel as a human, uh, guilt's definitely high on the list. I don't think it's top three with fear, pain. I'm hard-pressed to pick a third right now off the top of my head, but guilt in this specific instance feels a little more Dean-centered. There's different levels of guilt, and I think that the guilt that he's feeling is probably very intense. So I think that Sam's biggest choice uh, was to say no to Ruby when she's telling him that, you know, she knows what's going to help him get back on his game for exercising demons. Now, obviously, I have some foresight here because... I know what this is about, and I've been working so hard, Drew, to make sure that I don't tell you what it is. So, like, on, if I'm being entirely honest, I've almost given it up, like, 12 times already this season, so... Well, I have not caught on to it any of those times, because I'm have. i still sitting at a solid zero right now. But at this point, the show has officially hinted at it, so we can start talking about it a little bit. <laughs> But do you remember when Sam said that he would give up his demon exercising powers and you said that, you know, it would never last and it did not, in fact, in, in fact, in fact, last. <laughs> it, it did not, in fact, last. You are correct. In this situation, we could think that maybe he's yearning to exercise more demons. Maybe that's not quite that. Maybe he's yearning for the thing that Ruby is hinting to. And the thing that gives him those powers. Think if I had to take a guess of what this is, the hint would be specifically the yellow eyes we got at the end of uh, Yellow Fever. And maybe the thing that he needs to accept is his actual demon half or demonness. He has to really embrace it more than just use it and go a little like further down the demony road. Um, but then if it's something he's yearning for, that he knows Ruby can offer and he wants it, even though he says no to it makes me feel like it's not that dark. What do you think it is? Like, I'm just, I'm just curious. What do you think it is? Core prediction is there is a demonness inside of him and he can let it out and become like embrace the demonness and become more part demon instead of just human with demon blood, become a full fledged, like half demon or some mumbo jumbo, whatever term they decide to use for it. What did you say about demon blood? There is some in him. Oh, no. No, he needs to drink more demon blood, doesn't he? Oh, he has to he has to consume more demon blood, doesn't he? Oh, what? son of a bitch. 
That is so, oh God. How even does that work? Oh, the I need to, okay. I'm officially predicting that he now needs to drink demon blood. That's pretty big. Hey, Anna becoming an angel and not one of the special kids was pretty out there last week. So <laughs> let's see if I'm too far gone this time or if I'm actually hitting something on the money for once. I'll be I'll be looking forward to the responses in the discord on this one. <laughs> Your laugh has me a little more convinced than usual this time. I'm just saying. But I'm really sitting here like kind of shocked trying to think of what else Sam does this episode, because despite how big this episode is, he is kind of secondary. Our three main characters are Ruby, Anna, and Dean. We have Ruby's whole dealing with Alistair and, you know, being tortured, which, my God, was rough. Uh, You have Anna and Dean doing the opposite of torture. And then Sam really just is a pawn in a chess game being controlled. Like, so so like you said, I mean, really, the, the big thing, which I almost forgot about wholly this episode, was this interaction with Ruby where he declines whatever she's offering him. I assume a martini glass full of her own blood at this point. But yeah, if there truly is, as we sort of led up to this episode, I think I talked uh, about it a bit during our episode where they fought Samhain, where there was, I felt there was a part of Sam that was like, oh, these angels are jerks. I want to embrace my powers now and like just to spite them because I know how good it can be. And if I can do something better than they can, why shouldn't I? Then to have him reject this, it seems like it's like um, star-crossed lovers is the wrong term, but it's the only thing I'm into mind right now, where it's like he's yearning for it, but he knows he can't have it. Again, we'll see exactly what it is, but I agree with you that this is basically what he's feeling. He is Romeo, and Juliet is a Bloody Mary, pun intended. Oh, goodness. <laughs> How many more blood-themed drinks can I come up with by the end of this episode? We'll see. Are there other places in the episode where yearning shows up for you? I mean, I think I'd be kind of seeing in all the characters. Everyone's really after something. I mean, from the very blunt, we need to kill Anna because she's a weapon the demons can use against us to the demons going, we need Anna because she's a weapon we can use against the angels. And I mean, Anna's entire fall from grace was literally yearning for something she couldn't have. Something she couldn't have or something she didn't have. What's the difference? Something you can't have is very definitive, whereas something you don't have just means you don't have it right now. Or at least that's how I see it. So to me, it was more of the idea that she realized that being an angel, she could never have those things she wanted. The only way to get what she was yearning for was to make this huge sacrifice of falling and becoming human versus didn't is more of a you'll you could get there eventually but i think she had hit that point where she realized no no i can't the only way out is down if we're being very specific about this episode like it seems like she's really yearning for human connection and i think that that takes and and that's true you know the the love loyalty and uh, forgiveness that she talks about and that's that's why she fell and chocolate and sex. And because those are all things that she names. So I think it's important to kind of look at that. And the next thing she does is have sex with Dean. So I think that that's her way of, of connecting with another person in that moment where she's scared for her life, too. It's so important in the moment. It's the only time I have relationships to bring it up again is just we hinted at earlier was just the the way Anna spoke about her relationship with her father, I say in air quotes, when we all know it's God, 
it was verbatim the way we have described Dean and John. And I think Dean in that moment realizes that connection. Like, I think he even makes a joke about it. And I think that's the moment that he feels connected with her. Do you not feel like we've already had this conversation about another angel? Yes. Yes, I do. I feel we have. Yeah. Eh? Who was that angel again? That would be Castiel. Okay, just just making sure because we they have literally had this conversation before, where Cass was talking about his father, and they're like comparing. You know, I'm not just a hammer. I'm not just a tool. You know, like it's it's a blunt little instrument. Like those, we've we've had those conversations before. I think now it takes a different turn because Anna is a woman or Anna is in the body of a woman. And so now TV at that time allows itself or allows for a romantic and sexual connection uh, that was not allowed for Dean and Cass because they are two men. On that topic, we can also talk about Castiel's yearning, uh, which, as we discussed, is very similar to Anna's. Uh, although she took the extra step of going all the way uh, to Earth, I mean that. Wow, word choice there. That was not intentional. Uh, what was intentional was the camera stopping on Cass to watch Anna kiss Dean and the sheer fire in his eyes when he gazed upon them. Okay, but I'm sorry, but it's the way that he looks, and then the second that Dean looks at him, he looks down. Like that is such a relatable moment. Uh, I have a weird habit of imitating facial expressions when I'm reading and watching things. And sometimes I catch myself doing it because it's so like, wow, that's a powerful like gesture. I had to pause. <laughs> but that's like literally the personification of Robin's song. Like I'm in the corner watching you kiss her, you know, like literally. Oh, my God. Poor Cass. It's just so loud. It's so loud. And then Uriel later in that episode saying that Castiel has a weakness. He likes you. There's a weird moment there with Dean where like he doesn't react to it the way I think we all wish he would react to it. But he still reacts to it with like a bit of a chipperness that is more than just this is information and more of a oh, this is information. Hopefully my voice gets across what I mean. But yes, Dean, like that is like schoolyard crush moment. Like we've had like I, I know I have and I hope others have had it, too. When someone tells you the person you have a crush on might like you back. I just find it funny that this is literally after like he. So Anna, him and Anna had sex. He fell asleep and he had a dream that somebody told him that Cass likes him. I think that speaks for itself. And people still argue <laughs> Some people are too afraid to see the truth. Oh, I don't think it's afraid. But anyway, let's head on down to critical time and see what we have to say about this episode more critically. So who was behind this? I, I say this often, but literal masterpiece. I think this might be one of my top episodes so far. Well, this was written by Eric Kripke and Trevor Sands. We know who Eric Kripke is, and this is Trevor Sands' only Supernatural episode. 
And the episode was directed by Jay Miller Tobin, who directed Born Under a Bad Sign and A Very Supernatural Christmas. Two very good episodes. It'll be sad to see him leave us. Yes, certainly. But before anybody leaves, would you like to tell us a little story? It stood before me, a creature unlike any I had ever seen. It wasn't quite a man and not quite an animal, but it had many eyes. It spoke to me in a most seductive voice, asking me to do its bidding, to serve a righteous lord that would bring me salvation and free the world of its silly little squabbles. It tried to make me feel at ease. It wanted me to serve, and it knew exactly what to say to get what it wanted. I was on my knees before the entity, bowing my head and praying to its holy master. I have found salvation, and oh, it is good. So as promised last week, here is part two of my lore segment that I'm choosing to title uh, Witch Shoulder. Basically, in the correct context, either... Of these ethereal, otherworldly creatures we saw this week and uh, last week in Supernatural, Angels and Devils, can be painted in any kind of light you want. It's really all context. I mean, this, in case it's not obvious a week later, is verbatim the exact same script. I changed maybe, what, three words from more angel-specific to devil-specific uh, and a little bit of audio editing and tone of voice. But, I mean, these are two creatures that are after the same thing they have something they're being commanded by. They are using this power and their influence to control humans to do their bidding in whatever ways they see fit. And it really just comes down to how the lore needs to use them. That's totally fair. That's, and that I mean, I think we're seeing that very well in this episode where both the angels and the demons kind of have the same the same means to get to a slightly different end where the angels just want to slaughter this girl and the demons just want to have her to use her as like a radio tuner of some sort. Right. Oh, yeah. Neither side is in the right here. I mean, both sides are equally terrible, but, you know, based on how many years of lore and storytelling from every culture and every type of media we're told angels be good and devils be bad. Yeah. Now in Supernatural, I just want to, again, like angels are one thing, demons are another, and the devil is an, is a whole other. Sorry, I do tend to use devils, devils plural as demons. I know it's a, it's a weird habit. I don't know why it got me on that, but yes. <laughs> this is a Christian show, sir. <laughs> Sorry, I'll do my best to keep it correct. But, but generally for the audience, if I ever do mix up, I will specify the devil versus devils. I feel like it's people who refer to vampires as Draculas. That ooh, that gets me. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that. But uh, yeah. Would you have anything to share with us this week? I need to talk about Anna and Castiel. And I really want to focus on their similarities because we talked about how they're both yearning for human connection, particularly when it comes to Dean, each in their own way, obviously. And we've also talked about that earlier in this episode. Now, Supernatural is usually so good at making like those really short-term characters super memorable and super unique. And it it just makes me raise an eyebrow that Cass and Anna would be so similar narratively. We talked about this a few episodes ago. Cass had doubts. Cass said that he wasn't just a hammer or a quote unquote, blunt little daddy's blunt little instrument, like Dean had said last season. 
Anna is kind of doing the same thing in this particular episode. You know, she decided to rip out her grace and fall to earth specifically for love, forgiveness, and loyalty. If we're going to bring this up, I sort of want to point out that she was an angel when she made the decision to fall and to become human because she wanted those things. And a little bit like we hinted during our conversation earlier, I just want to be entirely fair because it's unclear to me if she fell because she felt those things and wanted more or because she wanted to feel those things. So I know that there's kind of um, a difference in opinion between big parts of the fandom and some of the creators of the show about whether or not angels can feel. And so I just want to be super in this particular instance that it's not quite clear to me exactly the mechanisms of that. So I'm just putting it out there because I really want to be fair. Uh, But I think it's going to be a very important conversation for later episodes because I think that for her to recognize those things, to recognize love, forgiveness, and loyalty, and for her to value those things, she had to feel them somehow. I think it's a very interesting dichotomy between Cass and Anna. And knowing what I know now that Cass does make it past at least to the end of the show, more or less. And Anna, to my knowledge, I don't think makes it out of the season unless I'm really, you know, misinformed. If I had to put money on it now, it would be that angels can feel, but they only know of certain feelings because of humans. So unless and I know there is some I've heard that Cass reveals he's been on Earth before. And I don't know if Anna has ever had that opportunity, but I think maybe the interaction of angels and humans is what allows them to. like realize what feelings are almost. It's kind of like a middle ground before giving up to go full feelings. It's very thought provoking. I will be very intrigued to get more into this story down the road and hear more of both sides of it before I make any like major statements. Like I've already done this week and last week. I'm going to hold off on this one. Like you said, Anna doesn't make it out of the season. Cass makes it to the end of the show. And yet they have incredibly similar arcs. I mean, one of them had to go. That's for sure. Again, if if they're the same character narratively and there was romance between Dean and Anna. If the show was so willing to give Dean an angel that he could on screen have a relationship with and somehow the show managed to get rid of her but keep cast the entire time, clearly there were feelings there more than just the fans. There you go. We'll go into more detail about that because there's going to be more. But uh, yeah, I just thought that this was an important conversation for us to start. Definitely was. And speaking of important conversations, shall we hear what our community has to say to us today? This week, we have a message from Lucia. But before we play it, we wanted to remind you to send us a three minute voicemail about where do you see yearning in Supernatural? What do you think Uriel yearns for? Or to respond to anything else we've discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Hey everyone, my name's Lucia. I'm reaching out today because I wanted to share some thoughts I have about the episode Monster Movie. I wanted to discuss the comments that Dean makes regarding not having any more scars when he comes back from his time in hell and how his body is essentially repaired. There's plenty to unpack, and I know there's tons of opinions and theories that have gone around the fandom, but I've never seen this particular one discussed before, so I just wanted to to bring it up. 
as I'm sure we're all aware, you know, when a person's injured, there's obviously physical trauma that, you know, creates the scar. Uh, but many times there's also emotional trauma that's associated with that. So over time, scars literally become memories of our trauma that is engraved into our bodies. And seeing those becomes a reminder of those experiences that we've gone through. For example, you know, when I was a kid, I fell and I injured my knee. Now I have a scar. I don't have long lasting physical trauma other than that mark that's there. But every time I see that, I vividly recall the incident. If the scar was gone, I likely would still retain the memory, but I wouldn't have the reminder there to bring it up. So it's not something that I would think about. Without someone there to remind me of it, there's just no reason why it would come up. I think the same logic can be applied to Dean in this situation. When Cass comes and heals his body, he didn't just remove physical marks on his skin. He removed countless reminders of past trauma that Dean had experienced. Um, and when you go long enough without actively recalling something, those memories tend to fade. On top of this, we see Cass continue to heal Dean over the course of the show. Well, it doesn't prevent or erase the trauma that he experiences. I do actually think that it genuinely helps lessen its impact, even if only by making him less physically vulnerable. By healing his body, it protects him in future situations where he isn't going to have, you know, ongoing lasting injuries that he needs to deal with. And in regards to the long game, without spoiling too much, I think it's important to note the times when Dean doesn't allow Cass to heal him as well. Um, I always like to give thought to what lessons and experiences he chooses to dwell on and remember, because I think those are really impactful. So... Anyways, it's just something that I've been thinking of for a long time, and I, I thought I would take a moment and share that with you. Really enjoy the show, and I can't wait to hear more of your thoughts and opinions on things like this as well. Okay, Lucia, first of all, beautiful. And I just got to say, like, plot twist much? You totally took me in a different direction than I thought you were going to take me on this point. I was very ready to be all like, yeah, it's great. You get rid of the physical scars, but it just it shows how powerful the, the emotional scars can still be and that. But you're right. Sometimes the memory is so tied to the physical evidence. I, I in this moment, took sat, kind of had a moment. I was like, oh, yeah, do I have any scars that make me think of anything? And despite the number of stupid injuries I've received in my life, I don't really have any scars, funny enough. What does that say about me? But and then I think about like when have I ever gotten injured? And like a few funny ones come to mind, but nothing major. And you're right. Having... Cass heal Dean, and if this is something that continues throughout the series, as you've alluded to, I'll be very interested to see when he does or doesn't allow him to, and what we as an audience can learn from those encounters that Dean would have then taken away from them. But I also think, and I might be like pushing on things I don't know yet exactly, it almost seems metaphorical now that he has someone he's so close to or becomes very close to that can help him deal with the emotional side of this trauma that the that not only is he getting rid of the physical scars and helping himself move past them he also has someone emotionally that he can connect to to help him move past them as well 
Okay, sorry. First, Lucia, again, thank you so much for this beautiful voicemail. It's, it's, I think it fits in so nicely with the theme that we had last week of memories. And the episode that we talked about this week, I think it just fits super well. And I'm, I'm just reminded of how sometimes healing can take so many different shapes. Like when you're not feeling well and somebody makes you a cup of tea or soup or brings you something and comes to talk to you, like there's of course the healing of like the, 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 the warmth, the tea, the medicine, or the whatever that they're actually giving you the food to nourish your body. But there's also the fact that they're by being there, they're creating a little bit of distance between you and the memory of the thing that's troubling you, whatever that is. And I think that in this moment, when Cass healed Dean's body, he helped him create a little bit of distance between him and his memories. And a little bit like we talked about today, right? Like one day Dean is going to be able to say that it wasn't his fault what happened in hell. Just like he was able to say that what happened to him, what his dad did to him wasn't his fault and that it was messed up that his dad did this to him. Thinking back to dream a little dream of me. One day he's going to be able to do that, but right now it's too fresh. You know, there's, there's, there's not enough distance. And for him to tell his story to Sam, it's going to create the dis a little bit of distance, a little bit of closure that's going to allow him to heal. And you're absolutely right. Like it's, it, it feels like Cass kind of healed his body so that because he knew that he would have so much to heal from emotionally and mentally from hell that like, he's like, at least I'm going to give you this because I can't, I can't fix you but I can fix this for you a little bit the way that Dean fixed the Impala when he was missing his dad. Right. Like there's this idea like of trying to heal through, uh, through doing the things that you can do. And I absolutely love that kind of narrative. So thank you very much for sharing those thoughts. Thank you. That was beautiful. Shall we reflect on this episode and discuss a little more? Yeah. So Drew, what uh, reflection and call and personal call to action do you have this week? I will have to reflect on two very specific things here. Uh, one in the show, one outside of what they relate. The, the part in the show is very specifically and very easily Dean's choice to come forward and express his feelings and discuss his time in hell and just how traumatic it was and you know, reach out to somebody he knows he can trust and share that with. And as I discussed earlier, Sam's able to affirm for him that it'll be okay. It wasn't his fault. And, you know, sometimes it is so helpful. And for me, on a very personal level, there is uh, we recently uh, as a Discord server sat together and watched Hamilton. My first time watching it. I'm a big fan of musicals. And there is a particular musical, which I've already told the the Discord we would be watching down the road eventually, uh, Come From Away. And for some reason, and like it's an emotional show, it's emotionally charged in many ways. There are a few moments in that show, even just listening to the soundtrack, that I actually have to stop and pause because I will start ugly crying. And it's completely internal to me. It, it's, yeah, the lyrics are sad. It's a sad song, but like, it just brings up a sadness in me and you know, it's okay. And it's important to have those moments where you can just spill your heart, whether it be actually discussing it or just getting a good cry on. And again, being raised in a very 
toxic masculinity type world that I was raised in, unfortunately. That was something that was never really okay. So when I do it, it almost feels like I have to stop myself and I have to like actively make time to watch that or listen to it when I'm alone so I can break down because it's important to feel. And, you know, if you have someone who can hold you and pet you and tell you it's going to be okay while you're doing it, it's all the better. So just let your emotions out. I mean, you know when it's the right time for you, hopefully, and you have a routine and a way to do it that's healthy and safe, but don't keep things bottled up like I have. Allowing others to hold space for you, whether that's your Sam or your Cass. And you, Mary, what about you this week? I personally felt called out when I read that the word yearning came from a word that meant pungent. Okay. It's <laughs> not the direction I thought we were going with this week, but I'm super know, on board. We're, we're, go- we're going a bit, I guess we're, we're going off road, but whatever. It made me think basically of all of the times that I was either yearning like for something or for someone and just like how visible it was to others. Like yearning is pungent, right? Like others know when you're feeling it. And that's what I was talking about at the very beginning of the episode. And yet I know that when I'm yearning, I really try to hide it. Which really just makes it worse. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like picturing the scenes in like TV shows and movies where someone's going to hide their crush. That's like the, like the first instinct always. But like. <laughs> exactly. So maybe my call to action is just to own my yearning. Like, I don't even know if maybe that would change the nature of it. But I don't know. That's kind of where I land to just be aware that when you're yearning, it's visible to everybody and there's no use in trying to hide it. So maybe I should just try to own it. I like that. That's a real thank you. That's a really good advice, actually. You know what? I, it's not advice. It's just me trying to like manage myself, really. <laughs> no, no, but I, I'm I'm greedily taking it as advice because I feel like that's something that I do, and I don't think I would have put words to it like that until someone else made me think of it like this. So thank you for allowing me into that and helping me like grow in that way today as well. And the next time I'm yearning for something, I'm going to be a little more, I don't think I'll be vocal about it, but I'm not going to hide it. Good for you. Yay, good for us. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano and hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Lucia for their message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Okay. Yes. Hi, Floof. Yes, I love you, baby.